Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. This week I read this story about this guy who tried, uh, he, he escaped from a prison in Louisiana. So he's, he's in the southern, the southern states. What's interesting about this story is that this guy had escaped two times before, and this was the third time that he had escaped. And so I guess he had to just like, I, I don't think it was like the same thing worked for him every time. He had to like keep trying different ways to do it. So this third time that he did it, um, it, it was actually very interesting. So the, the prison that he worked in, uh, he worked in the mail room. And uh, the story that I read, it said, um, it said that somehow he had kind of like constructed out of some materials that he had in the mail room, he, he constructed this like escape pod. And, uh, and he like had this breathing tube that he allowed him to, to breathe so he didn't suffocate, I guess. He hid it, uh, it in, in the... Um, amongst the, the mail bags on a pallet. And then he got carried, he, he got inside of it. And then at some point he hid in it and this forklift like carried him out on the pallet outside of the prison where he got out. And so he gets out of prison. I found this probably the most interesting part of the story though. So he's, he's out of prison at this point and he's running uh, along the highway and he, um, he gets pulled over by a cop. There's actually like a, a dash cam video of all of this happening. And so he's pulled over by the cop and the cop's like, hey, we're looking for uh, someone who escaped prison here. And he seems to have a suspicion that it's this guy that he's talking to. And so he's like, you know what, for sure what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna call dispatch and I'm going to get a description of the guy who escaped prison here, right? And so he gets this description and him and this uh, the guy who's escaped, they're having this conversation the whole time and they're just like, yeah, where are you from? Like, uh, you know, where are you, where are you headed to? And um, at some point in this conversation, uh, he gets the description from dispatch and he, the cop says to him, he says, um, he says, you know what's crazy thing is? He says, the, the description actually kind of matches you. And uh, I don't know how, but a few minutes later, he lets him go because this guy had convinced him that he was not the guy. Uh, It's really a hilarious exchange here. Um, Unfortunately, not unfortunately, fortunately, uh, he's found later, he's found like a year and a half later in New Brunswick, and he's currently serving the rest of his sentence in a maximum security prison. So they got him in the end, right? Um, so, but this guy had gone through all the trouble to, to do this, right? He, he's like, I'm going to find three ways to escape prison and I'm going to create this device. I'm going to hide on this wood pallet and he evades the police and he eventually he gets caught again. And so I'm kind of fascinated by stories like these, these prison break stories. You know what prison break stories never contain though? They never contain people who are free, Right? You're never gonna hear about the story of someone who escaped prison and is like living their best life. 
Um, there's never someone who, who gets out and just like a beloved member of their community and, you know, they have like a successful career and a fulfilling life. That just doesn't happen. There's like no happily ever after story for someone who escapes from prison. Um, it's very unusual for you to hear a story where someone escapes, but even when they do, they usually get caught right away. And in the odd case where they don't get caught, they're living a life under constant fear that they will get caught. And so they, get, they, they go into a life of hiding, and they're really not free at all, right? So I mention this because today um, we're talking about spiritual freedom and what that looks like for us. And like in our story, there's many ways that we can, can try by our own efforts to attain spiritual freedom, but they really don't provide us any freedom at all. Our best efforts only leave us enslaved all the more. And so the question that I want us to answer today is this. How do we break free from enslavement to self? How do we break free from enslavement to self? Um, this question affects all of us because we are either in this position currently, we were formerly in this position, or we have a tendency to slip back into this position of, of enslavement to self. And so um, we're going to focus on this question today as we go throughout our text a little bit more. Um, today we're continuing in our series in the book of Galatians. Uh, we've titled this series Called to Freedom, which is a fitting uh, title for our sermon today. And that's a lot of what we're talking about in this series, is this, this idea that Jesus has freed us from the law. Right? He's freed us from enslavement to the law and has called us to freedom through faith in Jesus. We're going to explore today two kinds of people that we see from our text in Galatians. So two kinds of people. First, we're going to see those who are enslaved to self. So those who are enslaved to self. And then we're going to look at those who are free in Christ. Those who are free in Christ. We're going to look at, at uh, the qualities of both of these two types of people and the implications of both of them. So... Um, as a quick reminder, Dylan mentioned this last week, um, our text today contains a lot of language of slavery. Um, the Bible does not condone slavery in any way. In fact, it, it uh, condemns it. Right? And, and the Bible here it uses this language and stories of slavery to illustrate a point. So the point is not that slavery is okay. In fact, the opposite. Um, one of the bigger ideas from our text today is that Jesus frees us from the bondage of slavery. So let's keep that in the foreground as we go through our text. I'm going to begin by reading our text for today. If you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the Connect table that you can use. And if you don't own a Bible, um, you can just have one of those Bibles. Those, uh, that's our gift to you today. Um, so again, today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And we're going to begin in verse 21. So starting in verse 21, this is what it says. It says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. 
but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We're going to pray, and, and then we're going to get into our text for today. Um, God, um, we come here today uh, just knowing that we do not have it all together, God, and we desperately need you. We, we um, often in our lives try to, to work uh, our best and try to attain to the promises that you have for us. And God, um, we ask today that you would help us to turn from that and turn to Jesus because he alone is who we have faith in. Um, would you guide us today? Would you uh, encourage us in, in your word? Uh, would we leave here convicted um, and yet satisfied in your son Jesus and knowing that um, we uh, have new life in him and in him alone. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, our passage today, it addresses these two types of people. One, people who are under the law and people who are under the promise those who are enslaved to self, and those who are free in Christ. And so if you're here today, you are in one of these two camps. Um, so uh, I want us to unpack today what it means to be under the law and what it means to be under the promise. So Paul, he first addresses those who are under the law. Today, I want to refer to them as enslaved to self. We can use those two terms synonymously. Um, let's read what he says here. He says, you who desire to be under the law. So first he's addressing this, these, this first group of people here, right? Who's he talking about? Paul's talking about those who seek to be justified by their self, right? They don't need anyone because they're good on their own. Because why would anyone desire to be under the law, right? Why would you want to be under the law? You would want to be under the law maybe if you think you're, that you're good enough, Right? because you can obey well enough. Those who desire to be under the law is anyone who thinks they're good enough on their own. They're not so bad. They, they justify themselves by the good things that they've done. And so we get into our text for today, and, and, and Paul talks about this story of the slave woman and the free woman. And what he's referring to is a story in Genesis with a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and uh, their servant, Hagar. And so in order for us to make sense of this, it may be helpful for us to familiarize ourselves with this story. So let's take a, a look at it for a minute. Genesis chapter 15, uh, there's this, this man named Abraham, and he enters into this covenant with God. And what God promises, he says, I'm going to make Abraham a great nation. God, uh, God says, I'm going to uh, make you many people come from, from your line. He's, what he says to him, he says, look up at the stars, and if you're able to, number them. And he says, 
That's how great your family is, is going to be. That's how many people will be in your family. It's going to be innumerable, right? God promises to grow his family to be exceedingly vast. There's one small problem in this story, though, right? If you're familiar, uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, is barren, which means she's unable to have any kids. And so the question seems to be, how is God going to increase Abraham's family if his wife is unable to have kids? Right? How, how will Abraham's family grow if his wife can't have kids? So fast forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 16, and we see Abraham's wife, Sarah, she is just fed up with this situation. She's, she's fed up with the fact that she's unable to have kids, and she says to Abraham, she says, here, I have a solution. Here is my servant. Her name is Hagar. You can go into her, and you can have kids with her, and that's what's going to be to grow our family. Right? Sarah offers her to her, her servant to her husband in order to have kids. And what happens is that Abraham listens to his wife, Sarah, and has a son with Hagar named Ishmael. We pause here uh, for a moment. Maybe we're starting to see what's going on here in this story, what, what Paul is saying here. Paul says, he says, let me interpret this allegorically for a minute, okay? Hagar represents the decision to pursue our own ways rather than God's. She is the decision that Abraham and Sarah made to try to bring about God's promise on their own. Sarah says, forget what God said. I am going to take matters into my own hands, right? What do we need God for? Here's a quick way for me to fulfill this promise on our own. Abraham, you can have my servant, and then we will have kids. I'm going to do this my own way, not God's way. So maybe this resonates with what Paul's saying here. This story represents what's happening to the church in Galatia here. He says, you who desire to be under the law, you who think, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I'm good enough without him. This is who Paul is talking about. Those who do things under their own strength, who do not need God. These are those who are enslaved to self. Now, uh, what's all this talk about slavery then? Why do we say that they are enslaved to self? Uh, because those who rely on their own works can never do enough to fulfill the law and are stuck trying to be better and better by their own efforts. So if you are enslaved to the law, it is always going to ask more of you. It is never going to be enough. Um, I read this, this quote this week from uh, a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He writes this. He says, The law is the most rigorous master in the world. No wise man would love its service, for after all you have done, the law never gives you a thank you for it. But it says, Go on, sir, go on. The poor sinner trying to be saved by law is like a blind horse going round and round a mill and never getting a step further, but only being whipped continually. He says, the faster he goes, the more work he does, the more tired he is, so much the worse for him. So if you rely on your own works, you will be a slave to them, right? Because you will never accept the works of another on your behalf. If you want to be justified by your works, then what you're doing is you're rejecting the works of the Savior. You're tied to your own efforts. You're a slave to them. You are enslaved to self. Finally, in, in this section of, of enslavement, we see that those enslaved to self, for those who are enslaved to self, there is no inheritance. Um, Paul goes on in, in verse 30, he says, 
What does the scripture say? He says, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. This is a harsh reality, but it bears being noted. God will not be swayed by you working hard enough for your salvation because God is not a slave master. Right? Therefore, if you insist on your own works, God will hand you over to them. If you reject his adoption as a child of God through Jesus Christ, then you will not inherit with the children of God. Slaves do not inherit the promises of God. Sons and daughters do, and God offers us adoption through, his faith, through, through faith in his son. Um, again, this is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He writes this, he says, The better legalist a man is, the more sure he is of being damned. The more holy a man is, if he trusts to his own works the more he may rest assured of his own final rejection and eternal portion with Pharisees. That hurts, hey? But, in other words, if, if you choose to rely on your own works for salvation, you are rejecting God's work on your behalf, and God will not accept your works. Your works are not as good as Jesus's, and so the point isn't try harder, it is accept his works on your behalf, right? God doesn't need our works, they are tainted, and he's not asking you to try harder. He's asking you to trust in Jesus. The result of Abraham and Sarah trusting in their own works was another son who would not inherit the promises of God. And likewise for you and I, depending on our own, depending on our own works without God will not produce the promises of God. God will produce the promises of God. And we cannot manifest them artificially. And if we choose our artificial works over his promises, we reject his promises and the inheritance he offers, eternal life in the presence of a loving God. I want us to, to give us a bit of a reminder here that Paul is writing this to Christians. So he's writing this to the church. Um, so before we start thinking like, hey, I know someone really, that would really benefit from this today, um, let's pause and honestly examine ourselves uh, today. So to do that, I want us to ask us uh, this question. What are some signs that we might be under the law or that we might be drifting back towards the law? Well, if we are trusting in our own works, we will be devastated when others criticize them. Right? When others criticize our works, we are, when we're devastated because we work so hard, right? We deserve praise. How rude of them to point out our errors. What we did was fine, right? What do, what do they know, right? But what we're really doing in that is finding our worth in what others think of us, in, in our good works, rather than who God says that we are. Um, another sign that we might be under the law is that we have a works-based acceptance of others, Right? Is our acceptance of others conditional? This was the case with the, the religious leaders in Paul's day who required Gentile Christians to adhere to the Jewish law. And so maybe it's not the Jewish law that you are holding people up to. It could be, right? Let's be real, though. Often we reject others not because they don't live up to God's law, but because they don't live up to our own. Right? What law do others need to adhere to for your acceptance? What standards do you impose on others? They, they should have reached out to me, right? They, they should have done this better. They're not really in my social circle. They're, they're not like me. Um, I don't like the way that they do this. What are the conditions for your acceptance of others? 
And, and Paul here is not advocating for a zero standard, right? The standard is already said, it is God's law. But what he's advocating for is grace and forgiveness when standards are broken. Acceptance of others doesn't come based on their works because Jesus doesn't accept us based on our works. And when people fail us, we seek reconciliation because we have failed Jesus and he gives us reconciliation. So those enslaved to self trust in their own works. They can never do enough and will not inherit the promises of God. I promise it's getting better though. <laughs> there is uh, good news in this. Paul says there is another group of people. There are those who are free in Christ. And this is Paul's reminder for those who have put their faith in Jesus. You are no longer enslaved, but you are free in him. He says in verse 28, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. So the call is to flee what formerly enslaved you and enter into the freedom that God calls us to. And so what do the free in Christ look like? The free in Christ trust in the promises of God. They are enough because of the works of Jesus and they will receive the inheritance of the sons and daughters of God. Um, if we look back in, in Genesis, in chapter 21, we see the barren wife of Abraham gives birth to the son Isaac. Right? God does the miraculous by, by providing Abraham a son through his barren wife. And this is the son who would receive the blessing, the son through whom God's family would continue, the son whose descendant would be the Messiah to the world. And, and this is because God promised it, right? God brought it to fruition, not human strength, God's strength. So Paul says, rejoice, O barren one, who who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. God has brought about his promise. The barren woman has children. The family of God continues because God caused it to. God did what no man could ever do. And so Paul urges us to trust in the promises of God. Uh, in my discipleship group, group this week, we talked a little bit about this. And so I want to pose a similar question to you as I did to them. What does it look like to trust in the promises of God in this season of life for you? Right? What's something difficult that you face in your life that you're tempted to take into your own, in, into your own hands or do things your way rather than God's? Maybe that's mending a broken relationship. Maybe that's apologizing to someone you've hurt. Maybe that's being honest in how you do your work or when others around you cut corners. What is this? What is the, this is too difficult for God. I'm gonna just do this my way part of your life right now. And how can you trust in him rather than in your own ways? God is trustworthy. He caused a barren woman to have kids. He can work in your life situation today. The free in Christ trust the promises of God. Uh, not only ought we, ought, ought we trust the promises of God, those who are free in Christ are enough because of the works of Jesus. Right? In Jesus, we are free from having to try harder. Right? Our acceptance comes through him. The, the gospel is that Jesus came to earth um, he lived in complete obedience to the Father. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave. And proof that his sacrifice is acceptable to God is his resurrection. That is the proof that he has done enough on our behalf. And if it is enough, 
then there is nothing that you or I could ever add to make it any better. When we try to, to free ourselves by our works, we are just like that prisoner trying to escape from jail. Right? No matter how hard we try, we will never be free because freedom comes by accepting the work of someone else. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, and that's because he finished it. Right? The call then to those who will listen is this. Find, don't, don't find your worth in your works. Find it in Jesus. Will you turn from finding your worth in, in even the good things that you do? Right? Because ultimately, they are not even enough. Would you turn from them and trust in Jesus? God, God, God says, you are enough because of Jesus. The free in Christ are enough because of the works of Jesus. Uh, we finally see here that those who trust in the promises of God will receive his inheritance. We see in verse, verse 30, it says, For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Therefore, there is an inheritance for those who trust in Jesus, and it is eternal life with him. And as a non-Jew, nothing of myself should allow me to be a part of this family. Right? You and I were not born into the ethnic family of Israel, and yet through faith, we are adopted into the spiritual family of God. Paul says, we are children of the free woman. We get adopted into the family of God, and we get to receive the family inheritance. As we wrap up, um, I want us to recognize that the free life is not promised to be easy. It's not promised to be easy at all. Paul makes this very clear. Persecution will come. He says, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. And, and Paul refers back to, to Genesis 21, where upon the birth of Isaac, we see Ishmael laugh at and mock Sarah for rejoicing in the promises of God. It says that Isaac is born, and, and as, as Abraham and Sarah are rejoicing, we see Ishmael kind of in the background, and he's just seen laughing at them. He's just mocking them. So a couple things to note here. Persecution will come. It will come, and it comes from those who are under the law, and it comes as a result of our own sin. These are the two conditions that Ishmael meets, right? Ishmael is the son who is under the law. He is the one born from the efforts of man. Thus, we ought to expect that those who trust in their own works will persecute those who are under the promises of God. We look absolutely foolish to trust God to do the impossible, and we will be mocked by those who think that they can attain the promises of God by their own efforts. If you trust the promises of God, persecution will come from those who trust in their own works. So this is not going to be easy, but God says, remain trusting in me. Forget about what the world thinks. I will come through with my promises. Uh, the, the other thing to know here is that this is the fruit of Sarah's own efforts that is catching up to her, right? Ishmael is a result of Sarah not trusting God. She's taken matters into her own hands. And so we may face backlash and consequences from our own sin. Bad habits, addiction, consequences of sin are all things that, we, that can still linger into the life of someone who is free in Christ. 
and they can hurt. They can ruin relationships and they can be difficult to overcome. But rather than to look to our own ways to solve it, we can run to God and trust in his promises. The free in Christ trust in the promises of God. They are enough because of the works of Jesus and they will receive the inheritance of the sons and daughters of God. Um, I want to close with this quote that I read this week. Uh, this is from a Christian artist that I've really come to admire the work that he does. Um, he writes this, though he says, uh, we live in a selfish time, right? Lots of talk about ourselves as individuals. We call the shots. We look out for number one. We tend to ourselves before anyone else, the self as supreme. He says, and I think as I process that, the more it seems like a prison, like a sort of bondage. He says, freedom exists for the sake of love, and so it must. Any other way where freedom exists for the sake of hatred or greed or domination drains love of what it is. Love is wild and a deliberate thing to desire the good of the other. It's a self-surrender, a sacrifice and commitment. Love is a passionate war, but to turn all that on its head, to twist it to satisfy ourselves only, removes both freedom and love. We become slaves to self at the expense of the good of the other. The key that unlocks the burning heart of freedom is love, genuine love, love that lays down its life for others, unconditional. And somehow in that wild, passionate, deliberate determination to love others, we will be free. And this is what Jesus did for us, right? God came to free the enslaved. Jesus came to those in bondage to sin, those in bondage to the law, slaves to their own works. He came out of a selfless love. He came denying his rights, sacrificing his self. Hebrews 2 tells us, he says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. The, the devil. He says, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is the same God who freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. This is the same God the psalmist writes about when he says that he looked down from his holy height from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die. This is Jesus who selflessly died on the cross for our sins so that we would no longer be in bondage to ourself, our sin, our way of doing things, but that we would be free. God came to free those in bondage to slavery, those who are slaves to themselves, those who will trust in their own works. God came to deliver, to offer something better. Under the, the law, we are all guilty. We are slaves to our own self, and we are rightly held captive to the death and destruction of our own making. But under grace, the prisoners go free. Those who are guilty are released from their bondage. So are you willing to be free from yourself? What is it for you to trust the promises of God today? This is what it is to be a Christian. It is what it was when you put, first put your faith in him and what it continues to be today. Don't go back to relying on your own works, but rather step out in faith and trust the promises of God. I'm gonna pray and uh, then Juan is gonna come up and he's gonna lead us in a time of communion.
God, we confess that uh, we are a people frequently running back to our own works and, and, and trying to, to uh, attain your promises on our own without you. Um, God, we confess that. We, we, we turn from that today. We ask that you would uh, guide our lives by your spirit so that we would trust in your promises, no matter what the cost, no matter uh, where the persecution is. Um, God, would you help us to, to trust in your promises and to see the, the beauty in uh, that we have no need to work for our salvation. We have no need to earn our favor with you, God. God, you are not a slave master, um, but you are a God of the free. You've come to redeem us from our bondage. Help us just to see the, the beauty in your son Jesus and how his works have freed us from slavery, slavery of our own works. And so as we go through our weeks, God, would you just remind us to trust in your promises and do so by your spirit. God, would we see uh, the, the beauty of Jesus in, in, in um, every way? Would we just be those who to seek to, to reconcile with one another because you have reconciled to us. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.